Good morning. Grace you in Jesus' name. It's a to be with you all this morning. And um, happy Father's Day to all your fathers. I'm sorry, this is not a Father's Day message. I thought about it at some point. It could be a Father's Day message. I decided that I was not going to do that. Um, largely because the priest's life went into the chapel and I thought I could reuse that message here. And actually, it goes a little out of out of my element because I can hardly ever reuse a message. I'm not sure how to study for something that I'm reusing. <clears throat> um, let me start with a story. And for context, this is 13 years. This happened 13 years before Jamestown was founded. 12 or 13 years. Um, this is in Guatemala in a town called Esquipulas. Um, but Years before, it had been a place of Mayan worship. The Spanish had come in and were starting to conquer Guatemala, which was an ongoing conquest. It took a couple hundred years, actually. But in this area, the Spanish were ruling, and the locals, I don't know exactly how this was set up, if it was you know, kind of a colony with one Spanish person ruling a bunch of Indians, or exactly how this was, but the locals had a really good cotton crop. And that's the coolest that year, 1594. And in gratitude, one of them, and some of I think it was a group of them together, but one in particular, Don Cristóbal de Morales, commissioned a Portuguese sculptor who was living in Guatemala at the time to make an image of Christ on the cross. And it's pretty much, I think it's a full-size <coughs> image, a life-size image. And in 1595, this image was completed. And the locals made a pilgrimage to the place where the sculptor lived and transported this, this um, image back to Esquipulas. It was originally made of light wood, but it darkened fairly quickly um, over time, probably from the smoke of the velas, the candles down at his feet and the people touching it and praying to it. Um, it it became, became dark. And so now it's known as the Cristo Negro, the Black Christ. And it's become a, over the years, became a location, an object of pilgrimage for faithful Catholics all over Central America. Now, Guatemala is a small place and kind of a backwater country to many of us now, but at that time it was where the, the Spanish were entering the New World, a part of the place where they were entering the New World. And it was so early on that it became very popular or very well known. In fact, um, replicas of it, of it have been made and placed in other places in Central America and Mexico over the years, some of them very, very old as well. Part of the attraction of it probably is its dark color. Um, the Indians are dark people and they can identify with a, with a black Christ, a darker Christ. Um, it's, the place where it's located is a, a small, fairly small town. It's about 30,000 people, according to Wikipedia in the 2012 census. Um, but yearly, over a million people come from all over the world to visit this Black Christ. Um, some of them are just tourists. Some of them are pilgrims coming to, to see this, this image and to pray. And, um, they attribute miracles to it. One lady said that she was praying for her immigration paperwork to get resolved to play pray to the Black Christ, and all of a sudden her paperwork just went through and was finalized. Uh, another prayed asking for healing. 
a lot of people place faith in this thing. In fact, in the, just in the last 10 or 15 years, several representatives of it have been made and placed in the United States in several different places, in several different churches um, that, that have a black Christ in it. What I'd like to think about this morning is faith. And you know, we can ask the question in thinking about the people worshiping this, this image, you know, is that real faith? Um, is faith in, in the Cristo Negro something that is, that is real faith? Um, faith is a kind of a, a nebulous thing. And I'm not going to try to answer all the questions about faith this morning. Uh, I'd like just to think about the characteristics of faith. I'll try not to, to say this any more exhaustive than that. Faith is something that's necessary. Um, it says that without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. And our essential lesson this morning, the children of Israel were struggling with faith. They didn't call it that. I think faith is mentioned maybe once or twice in the Old Testament by word. Most of the time it's talked about believing or trusting. But the children of Israel obviously struggling with trusting in something they couldn't see. And you know, maybe that's part of the appeal of, of the black race is something that you can see and touch, something that's physical. And I want to understand faith better myself. I don't feel like I'm a person that knows a lot about faith. Probably some of you all here know more about it than, than I do. Um, faith is not just believing. It's not just cranking up some sort of fervor spiritually to the point that we can believe something's going to happen. Um, nor is it just a passive thing. So we're going to look at several different characteristics of faith here, here this morning. Um, and I invite you to turn to Hebrews 11. <clears throat> I know this is a familiar passage, but it is a, a good one for faith. <clears throat> I think we'll read verses um, 1 through 16, maybe. I'll probably refer to some verses outside of this. But Hebrews 11. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaking. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he could after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith, also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him that did as dead, so many as the stars of the sky and multitude, 
and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is in heaven. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. We'll stop there. We will probably look at some of the verses further on down. But we'll just leave to that point. Characteristics of faith. Now, there's a lot of stuff in here, and we'll not cover everything by any means. I've got three different characteristics that I'd like to look at this morning. The first one is that faith is being led by a commitment or a dedication to something beyond the physical or the natural. And specifically, when we're talking about Christianity, we're talking about a commitment to Christ. But it's something that's beyond the physical, something beyond the natural, not something we can see or touch. And I, I want to especially think about this last verses that we read, um, verses verse 13 and then the following verses, 13 through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Um, you know, strangers and pilgrims are terms we, we often hear tossed around referring to ourselves. And people of faith are people that are foreigners here. That's what the word stranger means there. Um, they're citizens of another country. They're, their loyalty is to somewhere else. And I, I have been a foreigner. I've experienced what being a foreigner is. Some of y'all have experienced the same thing. And what makes you a foreigner? There's a lot of things that make you a foreigner. Um, your skin color is wrong. Damba, your skin color doesn't fit in with ours right now. My skin color did not fit in where I lived. It was, I was stood out in Guatemala. My hair color stood out. You wouldn't think my hair color would be different, but my, my hair is brown besides of, beside of Guatemalans. And also, if you and I stood together, our hair would be different. Um, my, my clothing was wrong. My possessions were wrong. My accent was wrong. Um, no matter how hard I tried, none of those things could I get them to line up exactly. We had a visitor at, at Liberty some time ago that spoke that used to be a disguise artist for the CIA. Her job was disguising people. And one thing she mentioned was our posture as Americans is wrong. Uh, we go into other cultures and we kind of slouch and we lean up against things and we're all relaxed. And they're stiff and they're formal and they, they look put together and you know, they, they have a nice look about them. We just kind of slump. That's true. I remember that. You, you see you know, um, people in other countries in Guatemala, they would be, they'd look really dressed up and nice. And they could walk down the road through a series of mud puddles and come out the other side perfectly clean. And we'd come out you know, completely dirty. Um, you stand out. You, you just look different. And, and Especially in a culture here in here in the United States, we tend to be more of a melting pot. There's more different uh, colors and um, accents and things. But in another culture where it's a little less of a melting pot, you start noticing how much you stand out. 
But above all of those things, physical characteristics, really the thing that makes you a foreigner is the way you think. Um, your attitude about life, your perspective on life is different. And your context for thinking about life is different. I'm quite sure that Dombo's context for life is different than mine. And we can understand each other, we can enjoy talking, we can, we can try to understand each other's point of view, but it's going to be different. My background is different from his, and his from mine. That's true to a certain extent among all of us, but once you live in a particular country for a long time, you begin to pick up the context and the frame of reference of that, of that country. Now, in regards to faith, what is our context? What is, what is our perspective? Um, are we foreigners here, or have we absorbed the, the culture around us and become just like this? I remember a couple of things, especially about our point of view and, and living in another culture. One thing was um, honesty versus politeness. Somebody, if somebody came to you and asked you, told you, hey, I'm having a birthday party, I'd like you to come, you would check your calendar and say, I'm sorry, I can't make it. You know, I've got something else. I'm very sorry, I won't be able to make it. If you lived in Guatemala, if you were in Guatemala, you would say, of course I'll be there. Full well knowing that you cannot make it. And you would feel good, and the person invited you feels fine. When you didn't show up, they wouldn't be bothered. It, it wasn't a big deal. You didn't have to say exactly what was going to happen. You just had to be polite. That was more important than you know conveying exactly what was going to take place. And I confess, I got to the point where I said, "Tell the best you guys. Maybe I'll be there." And that was as close as I would tell them exactly what was going to happen. You know, I might know I wasn't going to make it, but I didn't want to make them feel bad, so I wouldn't tell them I wasn't going to be there either. Um, you know, we would feel pretty critical when we actually give them a correct answer, but that's not wasn't their perspective. The other thing that was different was your sense of punctuality is very different than their sense and our sense. I remember one of the guys who would come to church, he would, he lived not far from church, but he would wait to see if the light was on the church and then he would come, which meant he had to get ready before he left the house, which you know, he showed up to church about halfway through the service usually. Um, that's not the way we function. I mean, we're more laid back here than some places, but not quite that laid back. Are we really strangers and pilgrims, or do we have we absorbed the, the culture around us? Are we foreigners here, or are we just pretty comfortable? Those folks that are going to Estipulas, they're pilgrims. They have a, a destination that they're going to, and they try to get tangled up with other things on their way there. Um, they may travel through a lot of other places, but their goal is one, and that is to be there and meet or see the black Christ. Um, be able to get to the, the place and worship, and they're not interested in other things on the way. In chapter uh, in Hebrews 11, verse 27, it talks about Moses and says, He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as being under his invisible. Um, Moses had a relationship with somebody who was outside of, beyond the world that he lived in. And he lived his life in reference to that, that person. Um, he wasn't afraid of the king because 
He knew there was somebody larger that was guiding him. We think of the story of Elisha and his servant. Elisha could see things his servant couldn't see. A reality that was that was beyond the, the physical. Christians at the time of Christ were markedly, markedly different from other people because they knew Christ. And they were the ones that cared for the, the ones that nobody else wanted to help. Um, they were willing to suffer and die for things that nobody else could understand because they had a relationship with someone outside of the physical. So faith is being led by a commitment or a dedication to something beyond the physical or the natural. The second point I'd like to think about with faith is that faith is a belief in and a reliance on the person of God. It's God-focused, not us-focused or things-focused. Uh, we can think about the, the Black Christ Vestibule. It's a, it's a thing. And I think a lot of people that worship it probably are worshiping a thing more than the God, the Christ behind that. They probably have some concept of Christ, but they also really like having something tangible to worship. But faith focuses on God and on Christ. And faith places trust in who God is even more than God's promises. I don't know if that quite makes sense, but it's not just finding a promise in the Bible and hanging on to that promise. It's knowing God who's behind that promise. Um, the person validates the promise. And there's a concept in, in Latin America called confianza. And that basically means trust, but it's more than just trust. It means a trust born out of relationship. Um, but there's some, you have some sort of relationship with a person, so therefore you have confianza with them. And confianza can kind of illustrate this relationship with God, that as we learn to know God, as we know Him better, there's a deepening trust a deepening relationship, we have a deeper faith in Him because of that knowledge of Him and the relationship we have with Him. Um, about ten years ago, we were home on furlough, and there was a guy that I would, would buy honey from. He had like 40 hives back in the jungle, and I would buy honey and resell it. And we had a, a working relationship, and I felt like he was a pretty trustworthy man. We had a measure of confianza. And I came back, we, we were back in the States on furlough, and this guy, Don Jovel, um, I owed him some money, about, I don't know, 350 to $500, somewhere in that range. And we had this relationship that I would, he would send me money. I wouldn't pay him at the time. When I had money, I would pay him. Or when he needed money, he would say, hey, can you give me some cash? Or can you pay this person some cash for me? And I said, sure. And I would would pay, and we just kind of worked it back and forth that way, always had a running account between the two of us. But I was back in the States, and he had told me, I think right before I left, he said, hey, I need, I need some money, and there's going to be a guy that I owe some money to, which you be able to pay, and I said, well, I'm not going to be there, but I'll have somebody there that, that can do it for you. And so I told a couple that were filling in for us, I said, there's going to be this guy coming, I don't know for sure who it is, but he's going to identify that Don Hovell wants this money, and you just give him this amount. Somehow our wires got crossed. I don't know if I told the wrong thing or if it just didn't get transmitted, but the couple had brought up a larger sum of money, about $100,000, and And um, somehow the wife got that whole envelope and handed it to the man who came to the door, and $800 walked out the door. 
And I didn't know what had happened, and Don Jovell didn't know what had happened. And I found out a little later, and somehow we started talking. Um, and I had confidence in Don Jovell that he was going to pay me back, even though he wasn't the cause of the problem. I wasn't the cause of the problem. We didn't have any written agreement between us. But we had confidence. I trusted him, not because of anything that he had told me, but just because I trusted him as a person and our relationship that we had. And he did pay me back. We had worked it out. I don't remember the details of it, but uh, we had a, we continued to work together for the rest of our time in Guatemala. He was always very faithful uh, with me. Confianza, or trust, or faith, uh, a relationship back to faith. And I know that not everybody that came to Christ had a long-running relationship with Christ, but the deeper our relationship with Christ becomes, the stronger our faith will become. And time with Christ increases that, that relationship and that faith. So faith is focused on the person. Faith relies on the person of God. Um, it's easy for us to rely on other things, to be distracted by other things. Um, to find other things as things that we can place our, our confidence in. Now, I have a little illustration of this. I don't know, Alex, do you at a point where you can, you can help me with this? One of the things that's a temptation here in the United States is to start relying on possessions as our, as our um, source of source of safety or source of um, the, thing that we, the thing that we can trust in. And I remember where I saw this little example. Maybe all of all seen it. But um, Alex, can you help me here? I'm just going to stand up here. I was here on the mic. Um, if you hold those up out of your arms like, can you see me okay? You look at me too. Now, if you hold them back closer to your face. Yeah. Now, can you see me? Can you still see me? And what do you see? Yeah, you see the substance that has, right? And what do you see right in the center of your vision? Blur, yeah. Nothing but point. All right, thank you. Sorry, you back. Yeah. I don't remember where I first saw that. Maybe all of all seen that example before. Um, I was reminded that there was, a, there was a condo at Liberty's several years back, and there was some wealthy man who was, who was some immigrant laborer for him. I talked to him about money and reminded him or showed him that little example. I think I maybe saw it in Guatemala first, but I'm not sure. And it, the point of it is, it doesn't, it doesn't really prove anything. The point is, though, that when we hold possessions too close, we're blinded. Um, possessions held too close to us distract us and reduce our focus on God. And we all want to say we're trusting in God, that God is the source of our confidence and our trust. But if we didn't have the possessions, it would, it would test that confidence and faith to, to a higher level. I think of George Mueller, who sat down to eat and you know, had all these hungry orphans around the table and thanked God for the food, and there's nothing on the table, and then the bread truck and milk truck break down outside the store. And that's a level of faith that I haven't had to try to have. That is a level of faith that I'm not sure that I do have. Um, but faith relies on God and not on possessions or things or other measures, other people. It's not, it's not passivity. It's not saying I don't have problems, but I don't have needs. But it's a reliance on God to supply those needs. 
to think of the belief in and a reliance on the person of God makes God focused, not us focused, or thing focused. One problem I have, it's kind of ironic that the one problem I have, I get ready to talk about problems. Um, faith doesn't spend time focusing on problems. And I tend to be good at finding problems. Um, I don't know, Galen, how you find it. But one of the things I find with my job is I tend to be focused on the details. And one of the details I focus on is what could go wrong. Like, as a developer, one of, one of the things I'm thinking about is what are all the possible things that could fail? So I'm writing this piece of code, it talks to that server over there, what happens if that server's down? Or what happens if the person that's using it somehow bad data comes in? How do I handle that? How do I deal with that problem? Or what if the server I'm running on happens to crash? It comes back up. What state did I leave things in? Can I recover? Can I handle that problem? And even when we're discussing things among our team at work, we'll all be constantly trying to punch holes in everybody else's argument. Like, well, this would be the problem. Um, so sometimes we're really good at figuring out what the problems. And I think sometimes I get focused on those problems rather than on God. Um, faith doesn't spend its time looking at the problems. It recognizes them, but it looks at God. Because in reality, God is so great, and our problems are so small in comparison to Him. And yet our problems can seem so large. You know, Israel, their, their concern in today's lesson was Moses isn't showing up. That was their problem, right? Um, yet it became so large that they decided to do something about it. So, we looked at two things so far. Faith is being led by a commitment or a dedication to something beyond the physical or natural. Specifically, a commitment to Christ. And then, that faith is a belief in and a reliance on the person of God. It's God-focused and not us-focused or thing-focused. The third thing I'd like to think about is that faith produces action. Um, if you read down through Hebrews 11, which we only read a small portion of it, but you'll notice over and over again that it says things like Abel offered, Noah moved with fear prepared, Abraham obeyed and went out. Almost always, there's a, there's a few in there that, don't, that aren't an action on the part of the person, but a lot of those um, mentions of faith mentioned that they did something in response to their faith in God. It's almost like faith is a demonstration, their action is a demonstration of their faith. Uh, we recognize that they have faith because they acted in this way. So if, if faith is real, our lives are going to be shaped by realities beyond what we see, and that's going to change our responses and change our decisions. should change our whole life. And Christ often asked for action on the part of the people he was healing. I don't know if you've noticed, as you look through the Gospels, frequently Christ will say, do this. Um, he said, I think it was the blind man in, Jer in Jericho, he said, come, which is a tall order for, for blind men. They needed somebody to help them to come. Uh, to Mary and Martha, he said, open the tomb. Uh, to the lepers who came to him to be healed, he said, well, go show yourself to the priest. And they left, not having been healed yet, and they were healed on the way. 
I think the reason for asked for that was that their action demonstrated their faith. Uh, he wanted to see how how far does his faith go? Are they willing to obey? Do they recognize me as somebody who has authority, is worth obeying? Do they recognize me as the Messiah, somebody who has the power to heal? So faith produces action, and that action can be very contrary to, to common sense. I don't know how many of you have heard the pineapple story and the, the water training and the stories that surround it. One of the stories he tells is um, the story of Rungatatwe. He was a native missionary that worked with him for a while. Rungatatwe um, was from the highlands of Papua New Guinea. He came down to the lowlands where Otto was, and they placed him with a tribe that they, where they started the church, but they're I'm not sure if they started church or not. It was a, a tribe that's very interesting. Anyway, a town that's very interesting. They placed place him out of the way there and started working with his town. Um, he was a man who always loved and always smiled and always cared for the people that he, he worked with. And he started to win the hearts of the people in this town. And the, the witch doctor um, started to get angry started to get worried because when God's way was winning everybody's heart, he was no longer had the same sway that he used to. And so one day, the witch doctor in broad daylight came in and stole a chicken from God's way, a chicken pen. And just wanting to get things wound up and get, get people riled up and show that he hated God's way. Well, the people thought this was a great time to get, you know, a standoff between people. They brought the wish doctor around. They brought him got his way, and they had a little trial. And um, they decided that that got his way to get two chickens from the wish doctor because he had stolen one chicken from him. And got his way said, "I don't want his chickens. I don't want to have his chickens. I just want the man." And I don't think the people understood, and I don't know if he had explained. I think what he was saying was that he wanted to win that man's soul. Um, but they didn't understand, and they struggled. They, they asked the question a little, and said, well, here, this is what we'll do. So make the witch doctor bring out all his, all his speeches, all his magic stuff. Bring it out here, and I'll bring my Bible out here. And so they, they had the witch doctor dump all his stuff out, and gradually touched all of it, and broke some of it, and chewed on it, and handled it, and... And they were all sure that he was going to die. And the witch doctor himself was terrified because he probably didn't mess with that stuff very much either. And he was convinced that he had some powers. In the end, the witch doctor ended up with such respect from him that it's way that um, he started being his servant, basically. He'd show up and do any little chores he could, fix the chicken pan, clean his yard, and do whatever. And eventually, he got it away, won the man's heart. His actions were very, his actions were very contrary to common sense. Common sense says there are often we two chickens to take two chickens. Uh, he owes me something because he wronged me. So, absolutely, he should give me two chickens. But in God's way, look beyond that and look at something larger, and that was winning that man's soul. Faith looks beyond what, what seems to be. Um, what common sense would say is right. Faith produces action that's contrary to common sense a lot of the time. Faith also produces ongoing action. 
uh, one step of faith leads to another step of faith. Faith is a progression. And we see that in Hebrews 11. If you look at the story of Abraham, here in Hebrews 11 it says he went out in, in, in verse 8. Uh, verse 9, he sojourned. Uh, verse 17, it talks about him offering up Isaac. And then the story of Moses, if you follow it here, it says in verse 24, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And then he forsook Egypt in verse 27. He kept the Passover. On and on, these, faith is a progressive thing. One step of faith leads to another step of faith. God doesn't just let us rest on one, one action of faith, and then it, or one act of faith, and then that's the curious. Faith is ongoing and progressive. Um, ongoing action. You know, uh, one of the phrases you hear sometimes is that he's on a journey. You heard that sometimes that Jesus said he just hasn't grown up yet, or you know, you can't quite figure your life out, or maybe it's our, our way of saying we're still trying to, you know, figure things out. But I think it's true of, of faith. We can say we're on a journey of faith. It's progressive. Um, we continue to learn about faith, continue to grow on faith, and faith builds on, on previous faith. So faith is, is being led by commitment or dedicated to something beyond the physical and natural, to Christ specifically. Faith is belief in and reliance on the person of God, it's God's purpose, and then faith produces action. So, what can we do? What can I do? I, I thought about this as I was studying. What, how do we grow in faith? Like, what are the, the what are keys? What are things that we can do to grow in faith? Um, and the, the things I thought of are fairly simple things, and not, not super profound. I kept thinking of Romans 10, um, verse 17. Uh, Paul here is writing. It's talking about people that need to hear about the gospel. Um, Isaiah says, Lord, who believe our report. Verse 17, so that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I know he's talking uh, at first, or principally about people that have never heard about God. How will they believe? Will they have to hear so they can believe? But I think it's also true of us that our faith grows by hearing, and hearing grows by the Word of God. As we spend time in God's Word, our faith grows. Um, times when I feel weak in faith and I start reading again, it reminds me of all these things about God that I should know and I should remember, and yet I forget. So I think one of the things we can do to grow in faith is spend time in God's Word. I know it's a very basic thing. I know it's something we all know we should be doing. But we have God's Word so accessible today, and yet it's so easy to not spend very much time in it. Um, it seems like, you know, it seems like in the Middle Ages, maybe God, uh, Satan's tactic was obscure the Word, nobody can get at it, you know, and so that's people be ignorant. Today, it seems to be inundated with people with information, and they'll never notice it, right? Like, it's, it's always the opposite. And we're bombarded with information, and it's hard to spend time in God's Word. There's so many distractions and other things that, that capture our attention. We need to ask God for faith. Hebrews 12, verse 
verse 2. Sorry, I'm still in the right one. That's what I want to hear. Um, Hebrews 12, verse 2. It says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Um, Christ is a, I think the Amplified says, the leader and source, giving the first incentive uh, for faith. I don't know if that exactly means that Christ offers faith in all of us, but he is the, he's the source of faith, he's the reason for faith, he demonstrated faith to us, um, and we can ask God to increase our faith. Um, the, his own disciples came to, to Christ and asked for, for him to help them grow in faith. We need to grow in love for Christ. If we spend time with him, that comes down so that relationship grows. And our, our faith grows. And God will, will help us to grow in love for Him and grow in faith at the same time. And back to being strangers and pilgrims, uh, we need to ask God for a clearer perspective on, on life and on eternity. Um, I'm pretty sure we're going to look back at life years down the road and think that many of the things that we thought were important were really not very important. And, um, you know, I'm sure you wonder about it sometimes. I, I wonder about it as I'm doing things. I try to think, there is this thing that I'm doing, okay, it's probably not really that important in itself. Is it important in the context of other things around? You know, so I'm doing some score with my boys. You know, it's, it's not really important in the eternal scheme of things in itself, but is there, am I doing the right things in what I'm doing so that it is eternally important? Because even the little things do have an internal importance if they're done in the right way. But, that God would give us a perspective on, on life and on, on eternity. Christ, uh, in, in conclusion, Christ said something to his disciples. Um, in Luke 18, you don't have to turn there, but um, he, was, he told them the story of the unjust judge and the widow, and how she cried out, and God responded. And he says, shall not God judge his own elect, shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear along with them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Um, will God find faith? Will Christ find faith when he returns? Um, I'm not sure exactly why all Christ said that. But I think part of it was that he was implying that the number of people on earth that were faithful would be pretty small. Um, that there is there is going to be a lack of faith when he comes back. So my challenge is let's be part of the faithful few, few that do remain faithful. And let's pray like the disciples, Lord, increase our faith. God bless you.